The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Break free from the big three. Get unlimited with 5G included for $30 a month when you get four lines on Xfinity Mobile. Prices may vary and are subject to change. Reduce speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only.
All right, it's Film Study once again. Episode two for week six, as this time we take a look at the offensive play. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm wondering when you're going to launch this XFL podcast now that Keenan Reynolds got picked <laughs> up uh, with the XFL. It's good for him, man. I'm happy to see him get another chance to play football somewhere. Yep, always good to see uh, local guys do, doing something. And I don't know, maybe the XFL is a better stepping stone than the CFL. We'll find out. But uh, we're going to focus on the NFL today. So joining us is Brandon Thorne uh, from the Scouting Academy. Brandon, how's it going? It's going great, guys. Thanks for having me. We've been looking forward to you for a guest for a long time, Brandon. Love your work. Love the, love the stuff you post on Twitter. And uh, you know, Scouting Academy in general, I think, is a, is a really uh, great program to get people learning how to watch film. But tell us a little bit about your background and explain trait-based scouting to us, if you would. Yeah, sure. So uh, I was in the military for 10 years, uh, got out to pursue scouting and originally wanted to get into the NFL and be a scout that way. I wound up interviewing for a team, uh, but pretty much through that process, figured out that I think the media was something that would fit me a little bit better at that point in my life, being married with a kid and things like that. So went full in on the media side of scouting and uh, that led me into the scouting academy meeting dan hatman uh, and taking two semesters through through there and now i work for them currently and then also i uh, linked up with ted sunquist who was the former general manager of the broncos also a fellow air force veteran and he had a website at the time and um, got to really learn a lot about scouting through him as well, wrote for his website and went to the senior bowl on his behalf a few times. And so um, those were kind of my original two mentors, you know, Ted and Dan. And uh, that led me into offensive line play because I joined social media in that time as well and realized that there was really a, a market inefficiency, you know, mm -hmm. sort of as far as offensive line analysis in the space. So got into that and figured out, you know, if I could really learn this, um, it's something that I love. I played in high school and, you know, just uh, played an offensive line and something, a position that I've always really thought was overlooked and underappreciated. So I figure if I can learn to learn more about it and, you know, present what I'm seeing on Twitter, I think that that could be a niche I can, you know, capitalize on. And, it, you know, it's worked out pretty well so far. Uh, so I really focus on, you know, the line of scrimmage. Um, but I, I love scouting all positions, uh, but really, O and D line is kind of where I focus at. And, uh, you know, I, I write for establish the run.com and I, I provide, uh, analysis on just offensive and defensive line there. And then also for the athletic Denver, I cover the Broncos and do more like film sessions, more general film sessions there, uh, as well. So, you know, that with the scouting Academy is kind of where I'm at right now. Outstanding to have you, Brandon. A great background and uh, very similar in terms of what I got into uh, the offense and defenses. They were very under uh, appreciated elements of football in 2006 when I started doing this, and and it's been a it's been a great ride in terms of doing it. But well, I'm sure we're gonna have a lot of fun things to talk about. So let's go right move right to the offensive line play of the Ravens on uh, Sunday against the Bengals. Obviously facing a fairly challenging front in terms of what the Bengals provide, particularly in the middle of that line with Billings and Atkins. And even on the edge with Sam Hubbard is, you know, an under probably a little bit of an underrated guy at defensive end. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, I mean, I think Billings, you know, 
he's on the short list for strongest guys in the league, I think, really at that position. He's he doesn't really impact the quarterback much at all. He's really kind of like a two down guy, but extremely valuable in that role. Uh, he's kind of on par, you know, in, in some ways to like Linval Joseph, Snacks Harrison, guys like that who just really clog up those A gaps and are difficult to move. And I think we saw that a lot in this game as well. Um, there is, you know, one nice block later on, I think, uh, from the interior on Billings. But for the most part, he, you know, that's what he does. Um, and he, he does that, he, you know, he exceeds in that role. And then Gino, you know, Atkins is a guy who I've been focusing on for about four or five years now. And he's, you know, he may not be quite at the level that he was a couple of years ago, but still he's extremely powerful. He's very low to the ground, very difficult to get your hands on him and Yonda. You know, I'm sure, as you know, have had great battles over the years. Um, so yeah, I mean, those two, it's, it's a pretty, pretty strong interior. And then, um, you know, Lawson and Hubbard, I mean, Lawson's coming back from injury. I don't know if he's all the way there. He had, a little bit, you know, he, he had some struggles in this game, but also I thought he had some really good plays as well. Um, and then, like you said, I think Hubbard is is a pretty underrated guy right now. He's he's really active, athletic, and um, he, he creates some problems with what he does off the edge. And, yeah, so I think the defensive front is, is pretty decent, um, you know, and I don't think their defense as a whole is very good, but, mm-hmm. you know, the defensive front is, you know, presents a pretty pretty good challenge. Okay, outstanding. So I, I, what I normally do is I go through the offensive linemen, re, re, kind of take the fans through my scoring. I do block-by-block block scoring as opposed to trait-based, minus the deductions from one system, frequency and severity of errors. It's That makes it unlike PFF, who has a plus-minus system that you, you can't necessarily see all the elements that are going on behind there. But I'm going to give you mine. I want your thoughts player-by-player player as we go through this as well. Uh, Stanley, all the players played 70, all 73 plays. Uh, Stanley, uh, 58 and a half points. His main problems was, was one and a half run penetrations. He had parts, parts of three pressures as well. Not terrible. Certainly for a 73 snap games, no worse pass rush events, quarterback hits sacks, no, nor any penalties, uh, 0.80 per play grades out to a B. I did hold him down in terms of the adjustment I gave him. There's a subjective adjustment I give him for the quality of the opponent, which Lawson is not too bad, but the, the problem with it is that Stanley really got away with an illegal black in the back that would normally have been very costly for the team. So I, I graded him down for that. Had a couple nice highlight pulls, highlight plays on that very first drive, made three out of five pulls in the game. Uh, overall, a B. Yeah, that that seems about fair. Do you, by chance, have timestamps on the ones uh, the ones you graded him down on? I do. I, I, I can certainly send those to you. I can just tell you right now where they yeah, are. Yeah, you tell where, me. I'm, I'm watching it right now. Okay, so so I got a um, – okay, it's the fourth to last play of the second drive. Run left, minus one. Uh, I gave him a minus two on that. Release 91 to move to level two is my problem. That may have been an assignment issue. It's possible, but that's the way I graded it on that particular play. Yeah. Um, I'm just watching it now. I mean, I, and, I, I, one of the things I have to ask you, Brandon, we're happy to do this. This is fantastic content for, for us. In fact, it'd even better if we were looking at the video with you. But, but one of the things I have to, I know you're on a time constraint. We need to get through the material here. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I can't really speak to your grades then if I can't see where you're grading. Oh, I mean, okay, no uh, problem. I don't want to hold you up then. Please do it. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I can't comment whatsoever on your grades if I'm not looking at it. Um, but yeah, as far as uh, this play right here, I think the priority was getting out to the second level, so he abandoned that 
first level double team a little early because 42 was creeping up on the edge. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to take him down for that, I understand 91 wind up, wound up getting through and getting a hand on Lamar and making the tackle. I think that's probably an assignment thing to where, you know, with the run being kind of a sweep out to the outside, um, I think the priority was getting out to that second level. But at the same time, um, you know, that, that one's tough. That's one of those, if you don't, if you're not in the room, it's, it's tough to grade. That's why I don't grade right there. But um, uh-huh. yeah, so, so that one's kind of tough. Um, but all in all, just to give you my thoughts on Stanley, I think he's arguably been the best left tackle in the NFL through six weeks. Um, I did an all pro team through the first quarter. He was the f- first left tackle on there. Um, I think he's taken his game to another level this year. Uh, the last He's really been ascending player since he's come into the league. He's very clean coming out of Notre Dame. Um, watched every snap of his senior year there. Um, and he's he's just a guy who's one of the most technically sound, left, technically sound left tackles in the NFL. I think he's very well-rounded. He doesn't have one area of his game that's stronger than another. And then in this game, I mean, you know, looking at my notes, I didn't really see anything that was too concerning from him. I mean, I didn't note any like major losses uh, or anything like that. And yeah, he did a lot of really, really nice things in the run game in this one for sure, especially like you said on that first drive. Yeah, very, very good feet. What I'm noticing is most of the pressures he gives up that I score for him are proximity pressures where he's the defensive player has to resort to the bull rush to get him back. And even that is not tremendously effective. So I, I did have one of those in this game, but uh, but we don't need to go through every single grading play I had. Give me your impressions of the player. I'll give you a, I'll give you a grade, and then we'll let it we'll let it flip at that because I don't think we'll make it through otherwise. Um, yeah. I want to move on to Bozeman here. Uh, Bozeman obviously had four penalties in this game. Uh, Harbaugh came out to talk about these after the fact. He had a holding penalty that that actually ended up being a sack, so that kind of washes out the hold because that's the same score as the sack there. Had an IBW where he was really, I thought, uh, miss. they missed the call. He really didn't touch the guy. The guy did go down on his, of his own accord. Um, he had another false start, which Harbaugh said was the the fault of the center, getting the snap count wrong, which is odd. He's, he was out of the snap pulling on, on one of those. He otherwise did not play terribly poorly in terms of his other blocking assignments. He did have one and a quarter pressures as I scored at four missed blocks. A D overall with all those penalties. Uh Five out of six on polls is what we've been excited about Bozeman so far this year in terms of his ability to be a little bit more mobile than than people expected. Yeah, so I haven't watched Bozeman prior to this week very much, uh, just here and there. I mean, I watch Brown and Stanley and Yonda primarily. Um, but, you know, I've, I saw Bozeman a little bit coming out of Alabama as well. And I, from what I saw this game, um, you know, he looks much of the same. I think his biggest struggle really is as a pass protector coming out of his stance He's extremely slow coming out of his stance, uh, and he sort of has a false step. He just kind of picks up that outside foot and puts it down, and it causes him to fall behind um, in terms of his relationship with rushers. You saw it. Um, I don't have a time stamp on this, but he was beat by Lawson. Uh, Lawson was very wide in a very wide alignment, sort of basically like a five technique, but he was rushing over the guard, which pass rushers – do that nowadays especially the last few years i've seen that a lot it's extremely difficult on the guard it's it's mm-hmm. very it's equivalent to basically a tackle seeing a wide nine alignment um but for a guard 
and Lawson had a rush. I think it was maybe in the second half, third quarter, maybe where, I mean, and you could really see that point that I made about Bozeman coming out of his stance accentuated on that rep because, you know, that false step that he does or, you know, just that kind of that wasted movement out, Lawson was able to get to his edge very quickly and and get a pressure on Jackson. Um, so that really uh, kind of creeped up a couple times for me with him watching him. I think that's probably his biggest weakness um, as and you know, it translates to, you know, pass protecting and struggling with guys who can get to his edge quickly. Um, there was another rep as well where I thought he was a little bit slow passing off a stunt. Yes. It was a, it was a TE stunt with Gino and Carl Lawson. Um, Lawson looped around, you know, to the inside and he got through the a gap because Bozeman was just a little slow, you know, getting, you know, getting off, passing off Gino and coming back around to flatten out that that looper. So he struggled there. Um, so you know, sort of an athletic limitation there, but also I just think footwork is inefficient. Um, you know, there's plenty of unathletic guys who succeed on the interior if their footwork is efficient. So I don't know if his, you know, necessarily is is really where it needs to be in that regard. Um, but I love the way he looks for work. Uh, you know, he, I mean, it's not a surprise because Yonda's maybe the best guard in the league overall, but maybe the best mm-hmm. guard looking for work, you know, when they're mm-hmm. uncovered, assisting their tackles. Uh, Bozeman did a really nice job there. I noted four or five reps where he, you know, as soon as he's uncovered, his eyes are outside and he's looking to help out Stanley. So that, you know, I'm sure that's you know something that Stanley appreciates. And it's it's good to see from a guard. You, you don't want to see a guard, you know, not blocking anybody for you know, any amount of time whatsoever. He's very aware uh, when he's uncovered. So that's that's one plus that I really noted from him as well. Yeah, great, great point on Bozeman. He, I've been noticing the, the looking outside, and that is the bailout blocks that Yanda provides have been terrific. One thing that came up last week, I don't know if you saw last week's film, but Bozeman and Stanley got in a, in a, a fairly heated on-field argument after a play. Mm-hmm. And where they were each pointing at responsibility. So I was trying to trying to understand that better. But uh, it's it's good to see. I mean, it, it, you do not want your left guard and left tackle upset with each other, I think, in general. But it's good that, that Bozeman is making all the efforts to bail him out whenever he can on that. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's not a it's not one of the you know primary responsibilities, I guess. You know, you want to be you want to be able to, you know, pass protect your man and run block your man, you know, above everything else. It's kind of one of those ancillary traits that you love to see from an offensive lineman and it may speak to more of his processing and what's going on you know just in that way so it's it's something you know it's just a positive that you know I noted from from his game and you know I think it's important to just you know point out just you know he's he's relatively inexperienced as well and you know I I know that Ben Powers is a guy that's you know you know could maybe take over there. I I you know I, I always err on the side of caution and, and patience you know with these guys mm-hmm. because um, he's just you know getting into this and you know you, you you see some of the footwork stuff. I think if he can improve that and shore up that, I think that that, that will really kind of um, allow him to overcome his biggest limitation as a pass protector. But we'll see. I mean, I, I think it's you know it's pretty early on. I could completely agree on the patience thing, and that's something fans never have. They get very polar right. about offensive linemen. Either they suck all the time or they're great, and and it's really just not the case. There's a lot of game-to-game variation, even for good players, in how much. I mean, if you're not Marshall Yanda, you know, you're, you, you, you have grades that are all over the place, you know, from week to week. Right. I want to move on to Matt Skura here, talk a little bit about him. 
not his best game. And he, he's been having a pretty good year, I think, uh, in terms of, of what he's been doing. But he missed, missed nine blocks, by my count, in this game, uh, a pressure and a quarter. Uh, it was still a C-plus game because he avoided any kind of big individual events, no quarterback hit sacks, penalties. I, I may have given him too big an adjustment because I, after hearing that Harbaugh blamed one of the one of Bozeman's penalties on him, I probably should have charged him down a little bit more, which would have taken him down to a C. What I'm liking about Skura is I'm seeing a lot of blocks in level two, eight in this game. Uh, he had one pancake. He rarely gets one of those and pulled two out of two times successfully. Yeah, uh, I I think you say he rarely gets pancakes, and I agree. I mean, you know, it's it's pretty evident. I think the reason for that is because his play strength, I would probably call it solid, mm-hmm. you know, just from what I've seen. And against a guy with elite play strength and billings, you're going to see struggles and just that disparity there. And I think you saw that for a lot of the game, just struggling to create movement at the point of attack, um, which isn't really a, a big knock on him either, because I don't really think there are more than maybe one or two centers in the NFL that are going to create movement um, against Andrew Billings. So but you, I think it's a little bit pronounced with him, um, just his, kind of that inability to do that. But at the same time, with the scheme that you guys run and things like that, um, I think he's a pretty good mover, pretty good athleticism. I'd probably call that, you know, above average, um, you know, pretty decent puller. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think he's, you know, I think Bozeman, if, you know, I'm talking about, you know, the strengths of the offensive line, I think those are the two weakest guys. But I think, uh, you know, he's a little bit better than Bozeman, you know, overall more experienced, second year as a starter, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So, but yeah, I, I really like uh, his, his some of his hand placement in the run game. Um, I noted that a few times uh, with just how, how quickly he's able to get inside of a guy's frame. Um, you know, I'm looking at a, you know, there's a play, uh, I think it's the second quarter, 835, um, and this is a very, very difficult block. And with this run scheme, I think this is the play that you wanted to highlight as well in the notes. Um, one of your favorite plays in this game, um, Edwards run for 25. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. This is a, an incredibly difficult block, uh, for a center, um, back blocking right here. Uh, a three technique is nearly impossible, but when you're talking about doing it against Geno Atkins, uh, very, very difficult, but I really love the way that he handled this, even though he, you know, initially kind of overshot Gino and he undercut him the way he was able to use that right arm and sort of, you know, on a knee kind of, you know, maintain leverage on him just, just for that extra, you know, couple seconds there. I mean, it's, it's very kind of you know, nuanced there, but for him just to not fall off that block completely, just little things like that. That was that was kind of impressive to me, considering the level of difficulty of that block. I mean, that's a, it does not get harder than that. I think for a center, so that was pretty impressive. But this run, uh, this is actually called bash. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bash concept, and uh, it's really I just kind of learned that you know myself because you know Arizona runs us a lot, and uh, it's sort of a I think usually been kind of a heavy college concept. But you know guard tenor, go, excuse me, guard tackle pull. You would think it's a counter, um, but they're mm-hmm. going to run a reverse option, uh, reverse read option here with Jackson and Edwards. So the quarterback can keep and run behind that counter or the, you know, the, the backs, obviously he's sweeping across and he gives there. I don't even know if that's necessarily the right read or not, because um, it looks like if he would have kept that, I mean, he had a really nice hole there. Uh, but either way, um, it wound up being a really successful run. And it's just an interesting concept because initially, 
you know, when you have two guys pulling like that and you run the opposite direction, it kind of throws some of the defense for a loop, uh, a good misdirection run. Um, but yeah, that's, that's uh, one of my favorite plays in the game as well. Yeah. I, you know, I thought that was a pretty good play. I, I, I loved it. Yeah. The Ravens have done a number of things the last few weeks uh, to misdirect the opponent in ways that are second level misdirection. It's like a poker player thinking about how the other players, what the other player thinks about what he has instead of just that first level of thought kind of thing. It's just, it's, they've done some remarkable things. They had one play, a, a pass play that went for a touchdown to Boykin a couple of weeks ago where the entire offensive line exited stage left basically for no good reason. They did, they didn't run, they ran a boot without any fake handoff. Yeah. And got the, it was just, it was, you know, some weird plays, but I love the, I love the play to Edwards and uh, um, uh, I think we can, we can scratch that off the list for later. Uh, Yanda, let's move on to a little bit. This is another A game for Yanda for me. Three missed blocks and a quarter of a pressure. So I apportion all those pressures out. That's why you see these partial shares. Um, and, you know, there's not too much to say about him. He had four level two blocks, three pancakes. They're not using Marshall much to pull this year. Um, they did in one game where he had eight, but most of the time they're, they're running most of their power to the right side with Bozeman moving that way and Yanda then opening the front gate. That pivot position is underrated in terms of importance. Most of the uh, attention goes to the pulling guard and how well he makes his block. But the guy who's actually having to open the open the gate there and, and pivot through the hole is usually Yanda. Uh, and then, of course, the, whether it's a seal or a kick out from that right tackle, you, you're, you, those guys don't get as much attention and value as I think they, they should. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And yeah, Yanda, I thought was very good in this game. And it's just incredible what he's able to do still. Uh, he's you know, really, I think the most crafty guy that I've seen, definitely one of, you know, uh, you know, on the short list of just the way he gets guys blocked is incredible. I think there's a great example, um, 739 mark in the first quarter. There's a rep there where Gino is going to bull rush him. Um, and, you know, Gino's a head up two technique. And the way that Yonda moves his feet here is just like, it's just incredible upon contact you'll you'll see if you really like slow-mo it he, he kind of just braces and then he kicks both feet back to anchor like mm-hmm. you do not see I, I that's just that's you know distinct to yonda right there i just don't see that very often if ever and it's just a really crafty way to get that guy blocked there and to anchor usually you sort you gradually walk back as an offensive lineman you know, you take one step at a time before you really brace an anchor, but to kick both feet back like that and then brace, that rep right there is just like Yonda right there personified mm-hmm. to me. Um, and then you could see what that did for the pocket in terms of giving Lamar plenty of room to step into that throw. Uh, that was just a incredible rep right there. So that one really stood out to me for, for Yonda to really showcase kind of what he's capable of doing and, 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 and doing it in, in an unorthodox way, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's not much else to say about Yonder really to me. I mean, I think his hand usage is phenomenal the way he's able to re-leverage on guys after initially maybe losing, um, you know, contact. Uh, he, he does a really nice job of sustaining blocks and, you know, he's obviously extremely physical as well. So, uh, yeah, I think he overcomes, maybe a lack of size here or a lack of power against Gino by doing things like that. And that's kind of all over his tape when you watch him. He's just extremely resourceful, I think, as a blocker. 
Right. I, I, I agree. And I think some of the things he does, the Ravens coaches will even tell other linemen, don't try and do everything Marshall does because you, you just you, you won't be able to. There's things he can do that you can't kind of thing. Um, I, I don't know. You could probably go to Broncos camp or you go to some camp during that during the summer, I'm guessing. For no, I, OK, I haven't been to a camp. Well, one of the things I love to do when, when I go to Ravens camp is watch the offensive line coaching in the individual position drills. Absolutely fascinating. They do a single rep basis, which means there's only one rep going on and you could line up you know, four guards and, 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 and four tackles right next to each other and have opponents with blocking dummies or whatever to do those. But Dallas Sanders does it one rep at a time. And then, you know, it's like every rep is good, good, let's do it again. Good, good, let's do it again. <laughs> but it's very fun to watch uh, that kind of thing goes on. Yanda almost never takes reps in that thing. He's almost always on the side, you know, talking to people about their reps. But, uh, but it's great oh, stuff. Really? Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. And yeah, I mean, I had, I've talked to Ryan Jensen, Ronnie Stanley on my podcast before, and Jensen told me the same thing that you just said, like, you know, Yonda, and he basically echoed exactly what you said. Like, you know, people say, you know, you could watch Yonda and study him, but for the most part, I mean, you don't, you don't want to try to replicate that because it's so unorthodox that, you know, only he could really pull it off. But yeah, um, that's, that's really good insight there about the, you know, having a veteran like that at, at training camp and things like that, where he's almost like maybe a second coach on the field. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's another rep one Oh five in the first quarter again, anchor against Billings, um, you know, just locking him down, putting clamps on him basically. And pass hands you know, for 39. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So just not that Billings is, you know, like I mentioned earlier, a very good pass rusher by any means, but just, another yonda clip but yeah so it's 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 awesome to talk about yonda that's for sure outstanding so let's move on to orlando brown uh, you know i had a fine rookie year one of the things I've, I've kind of been upset with is he's been party to sacks and there's somebody from pff who still, still keeps putting out tweets about how he hasn't been involved in a sack that finally ended so we could end the the, the, the tweets about that he, fine player uh, two two half pressures in this game and a 73 snap game is excellent for a right tackle. He did have a little trouble finding work, and he shouldn't have as much trouble with most most times being on the play side, to, to my way of thinking. So when he's moving to level two and finding no block, that's a bad thing. When he's not able to find a block at the line of scrimmage, that's a bad thing. Nine missed blocks, a fair amount of that was not finding a block as opposed to not being able to make the block that was right in front of him. 0.85 a B for him, four pancakes in this game. Yeah, I, I think a, a B is probably a, a good grade there. And, I mean, for for me, uh, yeah, I, just a general thought, too. I think he's he's a good player. Uh, you know, I consider him an above-average right tackle in the league. And, you know, he's he's just so unique. I mean, you know, him and Trent Brown are the biggest guys in, in, in the NFL and uh, just – you know, right away I mean they're extremely big obstacles for rushers to get around so it makes things easier for him to a degree where he really has to just play inside out on a guy if he just can't beat can't get beat inside his frame his girth his length his hands uh, if he just basically strikes at a guy um, you know nine times out of ten I think uh, guys aren't going to really beat him to the edge unless his mm -hmm. footwork's bad um, which sometimes it is and he plays pretty high uh, pretty often as well. That's kind of something that Trent Brown dealt with a lot um, early on in his career, and it hindered his ability as a run blocker, um, like you said, to maybe find work at that first level. Um, when he's 
as high as he is uh, sometimes, I think it's very difficult for him to really get his hands inside of a guy's frame because he's so much bigger than everybody. So he really has to work hard at, you know, bending at the ankles, knees, and hips so he can actually be in a position to where he can frame up a guy and, and you know, line him up and, you know, get, get, get attached to him in the run game. But, you know, when he does, he has pretty good movement ability, um, you know, in terms of creating movement. Uh, but, yeah, in this game, I, I did see some of that, you know, just struggling to find some work. Um, but, yeah, and I, I noted uh, one rep that really stood out to me was the first play of the second quarter um, as the incompletion. But that play right there, now I can't be 100% sure here, but, you know, the vast majority of the time you want to take the inside threat, you know, as a pass protector. And I know it's a blitz, uh, but that guy's really sugaring the B-gap number 55, mm-hmm. you know, pre-snap. I think that's Brown's guy because um, Yonda, I think, does a correct thing going to the inside threat. Brown should also do the same um, there because, you know, and he gets a hand on him. Could have been called hands to the face. Uh, I think he needed to really put more of his body into that guy. But at the same time, I, you know, I can't be sure of that, but I think that's a what they call like a dual read to where, you know, he, he has to read two guys. And, yeah, so that one stood out to me. I, you know, like I said, I can't be sure, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure that the inside threat always should be blocked in pass protection. So that's, you know, kind of a mental thing there, um, you know, more than anything that stood out to me. Um, but yeah, uh, overall, I think at the top of his rush, that's something else that I've noted for him in the past, you know, when quarterbacks hit their drop and their back foot hits on their third step or however many steps they're taking and the rusher, you know, some rushers are really good at recognizing that. And as soon as they see that quarterback drop, they want to, you know, halt their rush and spin back inside or, you know, somehow come back inside to get after the quarterback and not just get pushed past the pocket. Hubbard had a rep in here. I don't have a timestamp, but uh, he spun back inside and Brown just kind of, you know, fell off the block prematurely. I think when you really get Brown, you know, a speed rush to the to the edge and you get him moving out there and if you could stop really quickly, spin back inside or rip back inside, whatever, I think he's vulnerable there. Um, and that's just one of those little areas of, I think, offensive tackle evaluation is at the top of rushes. You want to see a guy be able to secure and sustain that block. So that's something that's creeped up to me from him multiple times as I've watched him just throughout his career. And I think Hubbard was able to take advantage of that once. I don't even know if it resulted in a pressure. I don't remember. So it was a run right for eight. So it didn't go as a pressure on my sheet. It may have been a pass originally. My guess is it was, it was Jackson running, although I don't have the runner listed here, but it was the seventh play, second drive of Q3, and I have 78 beaten by spin, 94, same as you've just described, so that's got to be the one. Uh, Jackson does bail his lineman out of some pressures, uh, the way I score it anyway, uh, yeah. by occasionally going for a run for positive yards, and and I, you're, you're describing the previous play with the rush by 55. It was a five-blocking-six situation. And it may be that the Ravens are instructing their linemen to not necessarily take the inside guy, but take the easier guy to block because Jackson has so much elusiveness that he can he can win that one on one battle with a with a single blitzing pass rusher and get out of the pocket possibly. Yeah, it could be. You know, yeah, that that would make sense for sure. I mean, to have you know when you have a unique player, you have unique uh, responsibilities sometimes. So that definitely you know makes sense. 
Um, but, you know, just a kind of a, you know, a, a bedrock of offensive line play. Um, you know, you take the, the most dangerous man, MDM, and he didn't. So, but if, you know, they're just scheming that up for being Jackson's man, then, you know, disregard. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that uh, that rush, yeah, Jackson, I mean, uh, Brown's just using that inside hand to, to push him up the arc and, it's kind of sloppy, really. I mean, he, he needs to have better hand placement than that, his hands on the top of his shoulder pad. And that's mm-hmm. just what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, when you get him opened up like that and running up the arc, his uh, ability to stay inside out is lacking a little bit. So, and we saw that a little bit with Hubbard. He actually, I mean, yeah, because of that, he forced Jackson out of the pocket. And if Brown was able to just secure that block, Jackson would have had all day. So, mm-hmm. you know, just... Yeah, but like you said, with Jackson, I mean, he, he gets guys out of a lot of things, but also in the past, I mean, he it's just funny because, you know, he, he, he writes a lot of wrongs, but, man, he, he gets happy feet a lot in the pocket when there's, you know, I think he sees ghosts sometimes, but then also, you know, he gets out of a lot of stuff. So it's kind of one of those things to where it's, you know, it'll bite you sometimes, and then sometimes it'll be great. He's just kind of, I think, up and down in the pocket from what I've seen. Yeah, it's a great point because this this game they had 17 out of 34 ample times in space, and that that number, which represents a number of three seconds step into the throw opportunities that the quarterback has, and it's 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 based on whether or not it would have held up for that amount of time. To be clear in the definition, that number should be high 30s, low 40s, typically uh, that I've seen. It's been reducing over the last decade that I've been looking at it. Um, it really was – this is about the best the Ravens' opportunity set have had this year. Cincinnati played a lot of four-man rush, uh, created an easy situation for the offensive line to create these nice clean pockets for a lot of the game. And I don't think Jackson really took advantage of it with only 6.9 average air yards per throw. Seventh shortest in the NFL. Part of that might be no Hollywood. Another part of it is Jackson getting rid of the ball or taking off sometimes too early as well. I think there's one play where he, he, he took off where I thought a pass would have been more appropriate as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, he's just, he's a special, unique guy. And he, you know, I asked Stanley about that when he was on my podcast, like, is it more difficult, you know, when Flacco went out and Jackson came in, like, what is that like for you guys, you know, in terms of pass protecting? And, you know, he didn't really give me much there. I mean, he, he basically said it's, it's not that much of an adjustment. You just may have to hold your blocks a little longer, um, which is kind of, you know, you know, what you would standard, you know, kind of, kind of a standard answer which what you would think with a scrambler like that but it's it's interesting to watch him and see him progress uh, in the pocket um hopefully he can continue to to do that um but yeah there's i think there was a rep you know got a lot of um kind of publicity i guess on twitter a few weeks ago i've just posted one clip of brown just basically crushing a guy with two hand a two-hand strike mm-hmm. um and jackson was running around the pocket like there was somebody chasing him and nobody was chasing him mm-hmm. um so just stuff like that is just you know uh, i think his pocket presence uh and poise is a little questionable right now you know maybe below average just because <clears throat> you know i think he's just trying to settle in really as a pocket passer. And when you have legs and feet like that and speed like that, I I can understand wanting to bail, but uh, he needs to find that, that balance and that happy medium. And yet, you know, he's still in the process of doing that, I think. Yeah. We're, we're criticizing him the day after he throws for 228 net and and has 152 rushing, but it's, it's, it's true. We can write a lot of wrongs. Like I said, 
You, you, you can. That's exactly right. Um, one of the things that the Ravens have been doing recently, I've been I've been charting the plays for for a, a radio project and he, his turn your back boots were uh, turn your back play action period was only occurring during the scripted set of plays, which is a real giveaway. Well, this week they did it about every fourth play. I've been I've been talking about it and, and, and whatnot, which was interesting. Um it, the turn your back boots, Flacco, it was one of the big things they had, probably ran it twice a year for the last 15 years for the Ravens with various quarterbacks, but mostly with Flacco during that time, obviously. And uh, the edge defenders were very fooled by an immobile quarterback doing that, but they're much less fooled with Jackson since that edge defender on the backside always has his eyes right on Jackson first. So he, you can get him booted out, and then he's got he's still got a win a matchup against an unfooled player to have a chance to get that ball into level two or three where the real payoff comes. He can get that to the first level receiver, you know, short gain. Great. We'll take it. But if you really want to make a big play out of that and on the boot or, or even take off with the run, um, he's got to fool that edge defender. And, and the way they run the boot now just isn't doing it. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. I haven't really, you know, seen that or noticed that, you know, in this game with a focus on the offensive line, but if I could, Go back and watch him every rep. I'm sure I would see that. Uh, one other thing, maybe you noticed the read option was obviously effective in this game, but I thought it was much more effective to Carl Lawson's side. Even though the runs were good all over the field, some of the longer runs were to the left. Lawson seemed to really be pinching. He has trouble as an edge defender anyway, winning the edge. So when he had, he was on Stanley's shoulder there. He was he was trying to turn and and pinch Stanley instead of watching for Jackson. Jackson got outside at least twice, maybe three times, off of Lawson on the read option. So I I, I thought that was one of the interesting, including one of the first plays. It might have been a touchdown run for twenty one, or it might have been the run for thirty six. Let's see if I can if I can confirm which one that was for you, but it was on that first drive. Uh, yeah, I mean, I see him on yeah. that touchdown run. On getting, the touchdown run for sure, he bit. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, when a blocker blocks down, you're supposed to squeeze down and replace, but, you know, you also want to stay square. And um, and then, you know, it looks like he just, you know, you want to turn that outside shoulder in if you're wrong-arming a guy, but he isn't really wrong-arming anybody there. And, yeah, it's just kind of a... a kind of a weird reaction by him to squeeze so far inside like that. Um, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, you know, 59, I mean, he just gets caught. His He gets, ca- gets caught reading the mesh point, and he's just slow to react um, as well. So it's, you know, kind of not just on loss in there. I mean, there's no contain whatsoever there. But it's very difficult when you have two guys flying across the line of scrimmage like that, you know, a, a motion man and a tight end, you know, kind of working across, you know, that's, you know, the, the running game. I mean, I love, you know, Greg Roman and what he's done since he's been in the NFL. His his running concepts are so diverse. And mm-hmm. now what he's doing with Jackson, he's, I mean, that's such a perfect match, um, you know, with Roman and what he's been able to do with, you know, Kaepernick and now, Jackson um it's just there's so much misdirection happening you know almost every run it's just you know it's just extremely difficult to deal with so you know I could criticize this a little bit but at the same time I understand you know getting lost or getting frozen and you know things like that so yeah but Lawson specifically there you know I I don't understand why he would squeeze inside as you know tightly as he did there 
Right. The, the Bengals are kind of limited. We don't need to talk about them because they're they're gone now. But Lawson is one of their only remaining defensive ends. He'd normally be just a situational pass rusher. He's in there all the time being asked to do a lot more than he's really good at. And that's, uh, you know, that's obviously part of the problem here. I, I, the Ravens are very effective rushing off both edges, I thought, in terms of their plays. And they, they stayed away from Billings and Atkins in this game. They got to Lawson. You know, they were able to deal with Hubbard on the other side, who's pretty good. Uh, it's... Uh, I thought that the scheme, especially from Roman, we saw in this game was was exceptionally good at taking advantage of what the Bengals gave them there, uh, read option to the outside or or run to the outside, and uh, and the Ravens now are 205 rushing yards per game. They're on pace to top the 78 Patriots for the most all time by about 115 yards now. So uh, it's uh you know it's been a been a hell of a year. I, I'm I'm concerned they'll lose Roman to a head coaching job next year. Do you? Do you get a sense that he's on short list of head coaches at this point? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I kind of wonder why he hasn't been already, honestly, just considering his success. So maybe maybe there's something there with, you know, personality or something like that. I mean, that's the only thing I could think of because schematically, I think he you know, certainly warrants that. But uh, there, there might be something there. I know Zimmer took forever to get one because I guess – you know, from, from what I heard, like in interviews and stuff like that, he just like didn't give a, you know what about certain stuff and just kind of went in there like, you know, I'm going to do things this way. And, you know, mm-hmm. and it just took a while for a team to bite. But, um, you know, but I, I thought Zimmer was a f- phenomenal schematic coach. And I think Roman's kind of similar in that way. So I don't know if there's something off the field, you know, something in that way that's kind of kept him out of the rumors, really, because he. Yeah, I don't even know if he's had interviews or not. I don't know that, but I can't recall him getting head coaching interviews. Uh, maybe he did, but um, yeah, I would think just based on schematically, purely from that perspective, he you know warrants that. Yeah, it's uh, Martindale on the other side of the ball. Another guy I think who's probably likely to get it, but uh, you know he's he's brought in a new era of snap count management into football that I think is going to challenge a lot of the the way people think about rotation at positions that were not normally rotational, like cornerback, uh, like inside linebacker in different ways uh, that, that have been, uh, they've been quite effective for the Ravens anyway. This, this year, uh, you know, we're talking about the offense, but, but on defense, he's making maybe the 25th best defense in the league into the 18th or 16th best defense in the league. It's very unfamiliar territory for Ravens fans. So again, polarity sets in, and we talk about how the Ravens' defense completely sucks now. Well, it doesn't. It's it's middle of the pack. That's what the that's where they are, and that's that's really who they are with the talent they've got. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting how often in middle of the pack gets confused with bad. Yeah. Uh, you know that same thing with offensive linemen. I mean, yes. man, that that happens all the time. Um, when you sit there and rank guys one to thirty-two, it's really eye-opening when you do that for the first time because you know uh, there's. There, there really isn't just that many, you know, good guys alive, you know, walking the earth. I mean, offensive tackle especially, that's, you know, I mean, I think that's the thinnest position maybe in football, especially right tackle. Um, you know, I think left tackle is a little deeper, but, man, I mean, it drops off a cliff after the first, you know, maybe 10, 15 right tackles, and then you just got a bunch of guys um, who – you know, the guys are just filling spots, you know, for the most part, because there's nobody else better. It's it's fascinating what's going on, you know, just from a bigger thing, you know, bigger perspective, what we were just saying as far as, you know, fans and, and common, you know, observers, you know, confusing 
solid for bad. But then also when you look at offensive line play, man, it, you know, offensive tackle is just, uh, you know, you guys, I think, have one of the six or seven best offensive tackle duos in the entire league. So it's it's a good spot to be in for sure. Yeah, I, I would I would think that's right. In fact, I'd like to know who the ones that are better are because uh, you Green know, Bay, Browns, for sure. Green Bay, sure. Yeah, um, New Orleans for sure. Okay. Um, yeah, Ryan Ramsick is phenomenal, and Teron Armstead is you know maybe mm-hmm. you know, he has he's always in the discussion for best. Um, I think after those two, uh, Philadelphia mm-hmm. is is definitely up there. Um, Peters and Lane. Um, Lane's, you know, I think we all know, uh, he's, you know, first team all pro most of the years and it's warranted, um, or second team all pro. Um, and then San Francisco, San Francisco maybe if they were healthy. Yeah. San Francisco, th- those would probably be the first four. And I think Baltimore would probably be five. Okay. Um, San Francisco now, you know, their season could be ruined by the fact that both those guys are out and, and it shows right. you how you really need to protect your size and shape guys. I think at left tackle and at right tackle, both you need an earth mover, obviously for right tackle. There are probably a few more of those in my opinion, but you need to have the feet and you need to have the guy with the, with the proper length on the left side. And, you know, one of the things I didn't like about what the Ravens did earlier this season was to take, uh, Gregory Sanat off the roster. To me, that was a that was a big risk they took. A guy who had flashed during camp, not been not been not been solid by any stretch during the preseason, even, but certainly had the right size and shape for the position. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I haven't really seen much of him. Um, I remember him coming out though. Uh, but yeah, I mean, lengthwise, you know, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I think length really it's it's 33. You know, if you have 33 or inch or longer arms, you're fine. Because uh, Bakhtiari, uh, Armstead, Dwayne Brown, Joe Staley, Jason Peters, um, Beecham, Jake Matthews, um, uh, and even previous guys. You know, J- Joe Thomas, Jordan Gross, Michael Roos, Matt Light, all 33 inch arms. Um, so. You know, I, I think that gets confused as far as people think you need 34. I think the new benchmark should be 33 um, just because there's so many guys, and that's not even counting the right, which there's some elite players on the right with 33-inch arms and change. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think really how you use your hands is is much more important than length um, because you can have 36-inch arms, but if you don't know what to do with your hands, it doesn't matter. If you really know what to do with your hands, you can circumvent a lot of those quote unquote length length issues that I think some people, you know, kind of conflate with just bad hand usage. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, I think there's certainly a benchmark that you want to have there, but I don't think it's as long as what maybe the NFL, you know, has, has usually thought of just because the track record of success of guys with 33 inch, inch, inch arms is just, I mean, it's a laundry list at this point. Right. Outstanding. That's, that's a that's a that's a cool point. I want to I want to look more at that. Uh, maybe there's a, maybe there's even a, a analytic way to get at some of that information. But uh, but very cool. Um, I, I'm not at all concerned. I just want to make this point about a disconnect between the yards the Ravens had 497, the number of plays they had 77, and the score only and only ending up with 23 points. The Ravens are a great um, points per drive team. And I think, you know, they've now had a couple of games where they put the game away in the fourth quarter. When the other team knew the run was coming, they couldn't do a damn thing about it. This this time it was 18 plays for 86 yards, six rushing first downs on that drive. And an 18-play drive, uh, 
that uh, that ate up nine forty six of that fourth quarter. Longest drive in the NFL this year. Wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty incredible. And I'm just you know looking at some of these these third downs. You know, like that one of those ones was a play that we talked about where. You know, we weren't sure if they were just unaccounting or accounting for that guy who got through, you know, that B gap and Brown mm-hmm. just stuck a hand out. That was third and eight. Um, you know, that resulted in a field goal. Um, and then I'm looking, you know, just at another third down. Let's see. Um, I know there was another third down uh, to that ended a drive that was I wanted to talk about. Um, let me see. And, uh, you know, obviously, I think there's a lot of, I don't know if you account for blitzes and, and things like that, but it seems like on third down, the Bengals, and I don't know if this is a trend at all, but, and, you know, generally I think teams blitz more on third down, but it seems like Baltimore sees a lot of blitzes on third down, uh, you know, because maybe Jackson, you know, is liable to kind of, you know, get a little, you know, I don't know, kind of a little uh, just scattered in the pocket there. Um, and I just see a lot of third downs where, they're, you know, bringing blitzes and either Jackson, you know, maybe bails a little early or, um, you know, like there's another third and seven, the one we already, this is the one I was talking about where uh, Lawson beats Bozeman. It's third and seven in the third quarter, 1408. Um, and Lawson's in that alignment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, you know, that you know, it's still a completion, but um yeah, it's just, uh, you know, your guard gets beat pretty good. Um, but, you know, I just think it's interesting that on in, in a lot of these obvious passing downs, um, you know, the Ravens are maybe struggling a little bit. I don't know if that's, you know, if that aligns with what you're seeing at all. But I just thought that was kind of interesting, you know, that maybe on third down you can really take advantage of that left guard spot or, you know, that can also play into maybe Jackson you know, struggling there. I don't know how you guys are doing on third down, especially like third, yeah, well, third down passing. Uh, I, I think it's well in both cases, but they're they're 48.7% oh. on third down, which is one of the best in the league. You know, they're in that second tier behind, I guess it's Kansas City and maybe, I want to say it might be the Eagles, but I don't think it's the Eagles. It's Kansas City and one other team. Even, even like New England is only is. right around 40%. Yeah, you, I mean, you can get that on, on, um, on G6. I don't know if you use that too often, but Jesus has the passing by distance and oh, nice. and success. So yeah, if anytime you want to go over like available resources sometime, Brandon, just give me a call. We'll, 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 we'll talk through that, but there's great information out there. Net yards over average. Don't know if you've looked into that at all, but that's a, that gives the, for the plays players in defensively or offensively, but for defensively is where it's really interesting. Um, how many yards over the six year rolling average across the entire NFL do those players allow on their own snaps. So it's a, it's a, they've been publishing it for years. Nobody uses it. I just always have, have kind of been interested in it. I keep the same statistics myself on my own database, but uh, it's, it's a, there's a lot of fascinating information the NFL is giving us. You know, this is one other thing. I was at the game the other day and next gen is posting the players on the field during the game, during the game. I've never seen it before. Wow. So it's, uh, you know, it's cool. We, my, my wife and I are there and we're recording the defense at the game because oftentimes the safeties are like ghosts on that broadcast video. You can't see them. So right. you want to try and record them at the game. So we have them for the database when we get home. And, and you know, amazingly, next gen, they, they, they didn't have it up consistently or we would have used it, but they're, they're flashing who was on the field at times. So anyway. That's fascinating. Huh. Uh, 
we can talk about other skill position players if if you don't mind taking a little more time with us, Brandon, or or if you're out of time here, we will we will understand and we will let you make your plugs for what you need to do, and and we'll we'll take over from here ourselves. Yeah, um, I probably got to get running honestly, but you know, I really appreciate you guys having me, and you know, uh, maybe if we do it again, maybe we could block out a little bit more time. Sure, be be happy to do that. Would love to have more time with you, Brandon. One of my favorite guests ever to get into this kind of detail on offensive line play. Obviously, very, very intriguing to me. Tell us where they can find your work. Yeah, um, on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL, and that's really the primary spot. Um, and yeah, I mean the Athletic Denver and Establish the Run are the two sites I write for as well. So, yeah, but really Twitter is kind of where I do all my work. Okay, now if somebody has an athletic subscription and for Baltimore, do they automatically get Denver as well? Oh yeah, yeah. If you have an athletic subscription at all you'll get i think you get access to just everything so Mm -hmm. yeah you should be able to check out my stuff there as well okay extremely cool brandon thanks for joining us we we hope we can have you on again next time and uh and appreciate the uh the visit absolutely thanks for having me all right ken let's take a quick break and then let's come back with those skilled position players and a little bit of the mailbag all right ken we're back um that was great to really get into Brandon and let him break down. It's always nice to see an outside perspective as well, guys who aren't focused fully on the Ravens all the time. Yeah, uh, good good analysis there. He's definitely trait based. Guys look at these plays one at you know one at a time. They have reps and they like things they see about that and they project that into more things, which is terrific. I think at the in particular at the college level, but it's great to hear the process of how he goes through this. And uh, and looks at that. I was intrigued by this guest, and he and he completely delivered. Yeah, of course. Um, I do want to get into before we get to the mailbag. Get to some skilled players, as we mentioned. And I, I want to start with uh, Mark Andrews. You pro hurdling or anti hurdling? You know, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 really tired of seeing that. And I guess there there's I, I got to argue both sides of the coin here because it was a bad fumble, and that is the problem. Whenever you go airborne. You lose your ability to manipulate the ball. People can hit you in bad spots. You can't manipulate your body when you're in the air because you need your legs to do that. And, uh, you know, it just it's too easy to get hit hard in a spot that's going to make you lose the football. So that's what I don't like about it. What I do like about it or what I, what I understand the necessity of occasional hurdling for is tight ends can otherwise take a lot of hits to the knee and to the legs on their tackle. So they want to dissuade uh, you know, defensive backs from doing that. And that's one of the reasons why they do their hurdling and, and, uh, you know, occasionally can lay a shoulder into a guy uh, additional times because of that more than any other position, tight ends take those big hits in the middle of the field and they do get hurt a lot. So I understand the need to do it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm still the ball security component of it has got to take priority. And, uh, I really do hate to see those fumbles. Heap was guilty of the same thing multiple times as well. So it's not like, uh, Andrews is alone in this regard. Right, and there's a lot of talk of saying that guys are doing it for highlight reels and stuff now because you didn't see old guys doing it, and it's because the rules changed, that now they can't go high on you, so if you get your body up, that makes sense. It's a survival thing, too, for their legs. Uh, you know, I, I agree. There are reasons why it makes sense. There are other reasons why I don't like it, but, uh, right. you know, anyway, it uh, – it is what it is. It's here to stay. And it's, it's, and it's, a, it's that playmaker thing that you want the guys to, to try their hardest, do whatever they can. It's like Lamar running. You don't want to take away something that's going to help you once in a while, but you've got to secure the ball. There you go. 
All right, uh, let's get to the mailbag. You can get your questions in uh, using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag over on Twitter. First one up, the Ravens now have three games, uh, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, and the Cards, where the offense started very hot only to be bogged down. Do you think this is a symphonic issue of, of a bigger issue, or do you think it's teams adjusting? Yeah, there may be some adjustment. I think the scripting has been excellent. In those games, the Ravens are just doing an outstanding job scoring on their first drive. Uh, they brought, I think they brought that up on the broadcast this last week. But, uh, you know, when you when you come out and you score a touchdown on the first drive, a high percentage of the time, it's going to seem like your offense tends to get bogged down. Um, the scripted plays tend to be very good in terms of taking advantage of what the other team may give you to start with. And I think that the Roman has done a particularly excellent job at taking advantage of that. Obviously, there's no problem with total yards in this game. The, you know, the Ravens had 500 yards in this game. Again, I, you know, we had discussed with Brandon briefly, but I, I don't think there's any problem with the points and yardage and the, and the plays because it's the per-drive stats for the Ravens are excellent. And you can only score seven points per drive or maybe eight, but you can only score one touchdown per drive. And the Ravens are still capitalizing on a fairly high percentage of that. They have over three points per drive and are number one in the entire NFL in that category. So uh, uh, it's really hard to find fault with the Ravens' offense at this point. All right. And I don't worry, I didn't forget about the skilled players. I know we got to Andrews, then I opened up the mailbag. I'm fitting those players into the mailbag discussion because there's some overlap. Sounds good. And one of those is Jaleel Scott. There was a lot of, I think you even tweeted out before the game, hey, maybe this is a chance for Jaleel Scott, and then we didn't really see him out there. Yeah, I thought it was a good opportunity to get him in the, on the field as a vertical threat, and and they did not do that. Chris Moore got some opportunities he hadn't been getting. Seth Roberts got some opportunities. You know, Willie Sneed probably got some more targets, although he's been on the field a fair amount. So you had guys getting more chances, but Scott was not one of them. Scott played a lot of special teams in the preseason, but he only had one special team snap in this game, and I'm I'm almost concerned he might have gotten hurt in the game. Uh, you know, like maybe he was in on the opening kickoff or whatever, and and uh, or maybe he didn't do something right on the opening kickoff, and then he was taken off the team. That's possible because it was a long return. Uh, so you're you're saying maybe the doghouse showed back up? Yeah, I need I need to look. I need to look at that rep and see what happened to him, uh, whether or not he was even on the field for it. But uh, before we you know cast any aspersions gotcha. on him. All right, um, during the uh, Lamar's 21 yard touchdown run. Boyle and Ingram kind of got their feet tangled it, it, and uh, tripped up when trying to make a block. Have we had any trouble in previous weeks with that type of mistiming, and what causes that type of issue? Okay, well, in general, I'm going to say the Ravens are very good with footwork issues. They do have linemen go down occasionally. It's usually adjacent linemen that are the problem, and that's common to all teams. But what they don't have a lot of problems is pulling from one side to the other with a lot of tripping. Looking back at 2006 Ravens tape, I saw a lot of that. Um, but in particular, we've mentioned this before on the show, Matt Skura and his footwork is excellent. And the Ravens really haven't had a problem with uh, with tripping going from right to left or left to right. So, uh, you know, if in that sense, it's good. Um, uh, you know, I, I really can't speak to the specific Boyle Ingram incident. But unless you see it happen a couple of times, I'm going to say, don't worry about it being a systemic issue. All right. Um, I want to stay on the wide receivers a little bit more as we go through these skilled positions. And Roberts, we saw him get a couple third down catches into the game. Uh, yeah. So 
it was it was nice. It was nice to see him in the game. Both his catches were on third down. They converted. Uh, uh, I think it might have been a third and four and a third and seven or some such like that. But uh, but they were both effective catches. Total of twenty three yards for first downs. Really nice to see him uh, getting open on a on a key play like that. The guy kind of reminds me of not necessarily physically, although there are some similarities. Is the guy from New England a few years back ago who? He used to do some sort of squirrel dance after he completed a third down, and now I'm forgetting his name. Washington, Kelly Washington. That's who he reminds me of. So hopefully Roberts can be a special third down guy that the Ravens could use another. All right. Um, on the tight ends, we talked about Andrews. Boyle's there mostly for blocking, which is leaving Hayden Hurst kind of out as the odd man out. We're seeing him just a little bit in each game. Uh, what do you think's keeping him off the field? Is it just guys ahead of him or – Something else. I would say it's the players ahead of him uh, are, are the primary issue. Now, Hurst played 32 snaps in this game. Andrews only played 39. Boyle is getting most of the blocking reps in a game where they run a lot with 54. It, we could have seen more Hurst in this game. But, uh, you know, it's just you have good players around. Boyle is terrific in terms of what he brings to the offense. When you have Boyle and Ricard in particular – it's like having two additional sledgehammers in addition to your offensive lineman. It's just extremely useful for manipulating players in the middle between the tackles. And it's also extremely useful for getting guys downfield who can make an effective block. So there's just so much you can do with those two guys. I'm not surprised the snaps are going away from the receiving types. Okay. And I guess that when you, when Lamar trusts Andrews so much, that ends up being the guy he throws it to when, when you got tight ends out yeah. there. He's certainly getting many more targets, and yes, I agree. That's that's the way Hurst is used more in line than Andrews is, which means Andrews is standing more than Hurst is. Uh, I still think Hurst has value as a receiver. Uh, he's got good hands, uh, so that really hasn't been the problem. It's just he's he probably has had some separation issues, and he may still not have the same kind of rapport with Jackson that Andrews has, obviously. All right, and then finally, Marquise Brown is day-to-day this week. Uh, how big of an impact is it if – he cannot suit up against the Seahawks on Sunday. It'd be pretty bad. Obviously, they want to stretch the defense. If they can't do what they did, I don't think, against the Bengals, um, if if they do end up without Brown, they've got to find that guy, and it's probably Boykin, to try and stretch the defense a little bit and use his speed effectively on some vertical routes. Uh, Brown, because not only can he use speed, but he can also make cuts, is extremely useful not only for um, uh, deep routes and verticals, but for manipulating multiple defenders across the field. So he, he almost nobody can clear out an area better than Marquise Brown, who then can be followed up by Andrews or another uh, receiver there who can, uh, who can fill in, find more space, and then make a big play. All right, Ken. Uh, well, that covers looking back at this offense this past week. What's up uh, over at FilmStudyBaltimore.com? Uh, all kinds of good stuff. We'll have th- this podcast will be out first. Obviously, people will see it. The offensive line article is coming tomorrow. We're going to try and reverse the order uh, a little bit so people, you know, give the podcast a try, l- listen through uh, some of the grading here that we did with Brandon. A lot of his other comments, just fantastic stuff. Uh, hopefully uh, people will give that a shot and pick up some subscribers on on the podcast. Uh, we'll have a Know Your Foe episode, and I'm still working on a guest, Josh, for that, but uh, I'm still hopeful of a, of a couple different possibilities for the Seattle uh, uh, game. And uh, again, I want to encourage anybody who wants to submit a mailbag question, 
and they'd like to have it be a longer discussion, or the question is such, I can immediately identify it as a longer discussion. We'd love to start doing these film study shorts, and uh, Josh is going to educate me on how to handle the board myself so I can so I can do this, or at least make a recording on Skype and send it to him so it can be posted. Uh, and then we can do some of these 10 to 15 minute episodes, we hope. But we'd love to have you know some audience participation is very direct in this. I'll handle it however you like in terms of it being a, a discussion and the topics you can use very broad. So I'm interested in hearing anything you have to say. All right. That sounds great. All right, Ken. Well, we will speak later. We're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. For the ones standing guard. For the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.